0: everyone welcome to smoke the podcast episode 14 so today a little something different we're sitting by a campfire um not sure if you guys can hear the crackling of it uh but you definitely will probably hear somebody getting up and throwing a log in there throughout the show um you also might hear some fireworks because it's getting close to the fourth of july as we're recording this so um so yeah you might hear stuff like that, and maybe a dog kind of wandering around and stuff. So please bear with us. We are outdoors. Um, tonight, we're not going to have any cigar, um, but we are going to have uh, some Jack Daniel's Red Dog Saloon, and our firearms topic today is going to be a uh, first aid while hunting or outdoors or whatever, and we have a special guest to help us out with the first aid. Since... Um, Ryan and I don't know very much about the first aid stuff. We're bringing in Nurse Nicole. Nurse Nicole. Hi, guys. Say hello. Oh, she didn't say hello. (laughs) Uh, So Nurse Nicole um, is an RN, and she can help us out uh, with some of our questions. So uh, let's start with whiskey. Uh, Jack Daniel's Red Dog Saloon. Um, I'll go ahead and do the pour. Um, Pardon our... Weird little setup we have here today. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because we are recording by a fire. We're kind of just hanging out.
1: Yeah, the fire's replacing our cigar. That's going to be the smoke for the night. (laughs)
0: Uh, Hopefully I don't pour too much into Ryan's glass. And if I do, too bad. (laughs) He's going to have to drink it. It's fine. Um, So uh, this is a special edition bottling of Jack Daniels, uh, celebrating the 125th anniversary of the Red Dog Saloon, which um, uh, was opened by Mr. Jack Daniels himself. Oh. Cool. In uh, Lynchburg. Um, this is the same town where the whiskey is distilled. Uh, the bottle, uh, it's bottled at a slightly higher than usual alcohol by volume at 43%. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, a little stronger. Okay. Um, according uh, to the Master of Malt website, uh, we're supposed to have a little bit of cinnamon, maple syrup, butter corn, and nectarine on the nose. Uh, the palate, the clove and black pepper come through clear with classic caramel baked apple notes uh, in support, and, and the finish toasted barrel staves and shortbread. Well, I can tell you the nose on that—it <laughs> just smells like Jack Daniels to me. Like it, there's something
1: characteristic about Jack Daniels.
0: Yeah, Jack Daniels is very distinct. Yeah, I wouldn't notice any butter corn. <laughs> um, well, the the one thing uh, I think about Jack Daniels that. That I always notice is it does taste very, uh, very barrel, oak barrelish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To me. Yeah. Uh, you can definitely taste it, but cheers. Cheers. Nurse Nicole will not be partaking and drinking, so, uh, she's not going to be giving a review.
1: Yeah. Which is for the best, considering she's holding my child <laughs> within her <laughs> stomach. Oh, I didn't for, know. For
2: the pregnant women listening, it smells like whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very much so, probably. It's probably overwhelmingly whiskey-smelling.
0: Ooh-wee. That tastes like Jack Daniels, but stronger. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's... Kind of what I said. I mean, um, may have a little more flavor, uh, yeah, than the regular Jack Daniels. Yeah. Um, I don't know about their description. Uh, Maybe the clove... Maybe yeah. the, the pepper. I, I don't taste uh, baked apple notes. No. Uh, too much, but you know I may not be as sophisticated as some of the uh, whiskey drinkers <laughs> absolutely out there.
1: Yeah. No, it's um, good though.
0: But yeah, I mean.
1: It just tastes like classic Jack Daniels. With yeah. More it tastes of a very kick. similar. <laughs> um, with a little
0: bit more of a punch. So yeah, like like I said, forty three percent alcohol by volume, uh, eighty six proof. Um, and yeah, the Red Dog Saloon was opened by Mister Jack Daniels himself. Okay. Um, I couldn't really find too much pricing because it was a um, uh, a limited run. Yeah, so yeah. It's not really out. Um, I got this a couple years ago. I think you got it for me.
1: Yeah, it was uh, for your birthday. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say I know for this is this is the seven fifty, and a seven fifty of regular Jack Daniels is anywhere between like sixteen and twenty dollars. I would say I think I paid about twenty eight, closer to thirty
0: yeah that. so maybe closer to like a gentleman jack yeah yeah uh
1: price I'm sure they're more now if they're not running them as much you know what I mean yeah like it, one uh, yeah ones. if it was a limited run I'm sure but I got it right when they had come out so. yeah yeah they're they're reasonable still
0: yeah it's, it's actually um I mean if, if you're if you're a Jack Daniels drinker I would I would say go ahead and and yeah. at least taste it well Jack Daniels is kind
1: of my go-to and so to me um it, yeah, it, like I said, it just tastes like Jack Daniel's with a little bit more of a kick yeah. to it. It's amazing what only 3% alcohol by volume can do. To
0: yeah. It, so. Um so yeah, let's uh let's dive into some of this um this first aid stuff. Yeah, we got a lot to cover, so. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just a disclaimer, Nurse Nicole is not a doctor and we are not offering medical advice on this show. This is strictly, you know, us talking through this stuff. Um, So contact your doctor if you have any questions uh, in regards to this uh, topic. Um, Let's start off talking about first aid kits. Um, So what are some essential items that everyone should have for an outdoor first aid kit?
2: So I'm glad that you mentioned outdoor first aid kits. Um, There's many first aid kits that you can have, one for your house, one for your car, one for the outdoors, so you know, when you go camping, hunting, fishing, it's good to have a few extra items in those kits as compared to your home kit or car kit. Um, some essentials that you're going to want are band aids of all different sizes, um, gauze for larger cuts and wounds, um, some basic medications, Tylenol, ibuprofen, Benadryl, um, probably some antiseptic. Uh, iodine, um, peroxide, alcohol. If you're crazy, <laughs> <laughs> why is that? If you don't mind the burn, <laughs> if you don't mind the burn, okay. So <laughs> you alcohol, really want to feel it.
0: Alcohol is is uh, not bad for you. It's just if you can handle it. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that pretty much what you're saying? Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, maybe some antibiotic ointment, um, and then you're gonna want a few more few extra items like uh strips or butterfly bandages and those are really good to close up deeper cuts and lacerations when you can't get to um, a medical facility within the next few hours
1: what about like a sterilized staple gun or things like that
2: yeah if you want to get a little bit more intense you have a little bit more experience with some medical supplies a staple gun is good um We typically use those for head injuries, which can be common if you're out hiking and something falls on you, or you trip and fall on a rock. Um, Some basic splinting, you know, triangular bandage, um, tick remover, um, just anything that you think you may encounter in the wilderness. Um, Another important item is scissors. Not a lot of people think of that, but it's good if you need uh, you do need a good pair of trauma scissors in case you need to you know remove clothing items or even fasten your own makeshift bandage out of the items that you do have available to you.
0: yeah, that that's uh, something that you don't really think about too much. Yeah. well, I know
1: like for from a tactical point of view, just because uh-huh. I know everything that we do is typically more focused on the shooting sports side of things, um, a lot of the guys carry them with their if f uh, I yeah, or IFAX, yeah. Um, and uh, the reason for that is they got to cut through plate carriers. They have to cut through belts and combat gear and things like that. So I have I have a set in my uh, in my uh, personal first aid kit that I carry with me.
0: Yeah, I would think most people that are in shooting sports are a little more familiar with that. Yeah, um, and maybe not so much the people that are out just outdoors. But in I mean, general. if
1: you think about it, if you're out camping. You typically, you know, or, or fishing, for example, like you have a fishing vest on. You're carrying, like you might have waders on. You might have something that's not very easy to get off. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, having the ability to cut through all that thick material is kind of a benefit as well.
0: Um, okay, so uh, what, what about um, important uh, first aid items for uh, shooting sports, you know, shooting sports specific ones? Um, something to stop, I guess, a little more heavy bleeding or... Uh, you have any, anything in mind for that?
2: Um, so, yeah, with shooting, of course, comes the risk of gunshot wounds. Um, those we definitely recommend seeking immediate <laughs> medical care for. Those are not something you can handle on your own with some bandages. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you have a graze wound, maybe, <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> um, but I know there are um, trauma packs available that have... Uh, quick clot in them or other items that will stop bleeding quickly um, pressure bandages um, Anything like that your your main focus with gunshot wounds is just going to be control the bleeding as best you can Until you get to a medical facility um, Another common issue you might see are burns from firing the weapon um, Maybe some bruising if you're you know out shooting the shotgun <laughs> couple boxes <laughs> um and those are obviously not as serious uh, injuries but still need to be taken care of yeah. um so you can get the cool packs the instant cool packs um you can get some cooling gel for the burns um and especially with open burns you want to keep them clean um so sterile gauze is important again um some antiseptic ointment um and then with the bruises, you know, probably the ibuprofen and then cool, uh, instant cool pack would, would work really well for those.
0: So, i seen, uh, I seen Rambo put some bullet, uh, you know, some gunpowder on one of his wounds and light it on fire. I think that's a tried and true tactic.
2: <laughs> I think it's not recommended. <laughs>
0: uh, and I also seen him, you know, stitch himself up. Oh so. yeah, with fishing line with and fishing a hook line and out a hook. of his uh, knife, yeah. iconic Rambo knife. Yeah. Um, uh, so Sh- we should probably. kits, though. Th- those are those are a real thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, those are a real thing, and we should probably avoid that. Is uh, would you say that that's pretty good advice? Well,
2: I would say yes, unless it's a last resort measure, um, you should really avoid doing any procedure that you are not trained for <laughs> or familiar with. Um, I'm gonna go with prevention is my biggest uh, factor on those ones. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No, and I think I think those are really more in the cases where you, like, for example, when we go chucker hunting, oftentimes we'll be two or three miles from the pickup truck, mm-hmm. which is then 10 to 15 miles from the nearest road which then is probably another 50 miles from the nearest hospital, you know. So, I mean, you're looking at at least an hour to two hours of driving and trying to get out of the situation that you're in. If you're backpacking, you might even be two days out, like, hiking out of the way. with no cell service. With with nothing and no way to contact anyone. And so I think in those situations, that's where, you know, like in my uh, first aid kit, I carry chest seals and I carry quick clot, and I have the trauma kit that she's talking about that... I think you can order it on Amazon for about twenty bucks, and it comes with just about everything you need to stop a gunshot wound. Um, I mean, granted, like you said, I I don't know that I want to rely on that. I mean, it is it's what you got to do if you're in the middle yeah. of nowhere. But I'm pretty sure it's gonna suck, like <laughs> the whole time. You know, it's not like getting shot on the street and then being in the hospital ten minutes later and having them fix you up already. You know.
0: Yeah, it's uh, the the best thing is probably for you know just practice. Uh, safety. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and honestly, a lot of these things are totally preventable. Yeah, um, you know.
0: Yeah, especially the gunshot wounds. Yeah, um, that should never happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go into some common outdoor injuries. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a couple uh, or an, uh, an injury to you and just give us a quick little maybe uh, stuff to look for um, something that. Would indicate that it's more serious um, or just a, a way to kind of like uh, treat um, these uh, minor injuries. So, you know, if you're hiking, you get a twisted ankle, uh, what should we do? Just wrap in ice and then when, when would you know like maybe it's broken or w- when should we seek some, uh, some more medical attention?
2: So, yeah, twisted ankle is probably going to be a pretty common outdoor injury. Um, hiking, sports, hunting, you know, you just miss your step and... Roll your ankle over. Um, these are considered strains, um, so most important uh, thing to do for these is compression. Um, so if you have tall hiking boots on, you know that go up past your ankles, best thing to do is probably just keep those boots on, tighten them up a little bit more, um, and that'll keep some good compression on the injury there. Um, if you don't, the next best thing is an ace wrap. Um, get that, you know, nice and tight, not so much that it's cutting off your circulation. You should be able to still feel your toes, not changing colors, you know, not looking (laughs) blue,
1: um, (laughs) not tourniquet (laughs) tight.
2: No, no, we don't want to stop the blood flow. (laughs) Feet are important. Um, but just keep compression on that area, um, until you can get it examined by a doctor. Um, ice, rest, elevation, those are all good for those injuries. Um, we call it RICE, so RICE, um, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Um, if you can bear weight on the, on the ankle that's effective, then yes, try and hike out as best you can. If not, make some makeshift crutches, get the weight off that ankle. Um, of course, any severe pain, you want to get it checked out right away. Uh, if not, you know, see how you feel in a day or two. Um,
0: yeah, well, that's interesting that you, you know, mentioned with the compression. I don't, I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, I've, I've seen people, not necessarily in hiking, but in, um, like, sports injuries where they immediately take their shoe off uh, to see, you know, the, uh, if they roll their ankle and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people know that that's uh, something you probably shouldn't do Yeah. Um, until you get to a place where you can put ice and... Uh, do that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah I would say as long as you're not bleeding looking at your ankle is really not going to tell you much more than it keeping your shoe on. Um,
0: <laughs> then how
1: it hurts. So just just keep it in
2: the shoe if you can.
1: Okay uh, would like severe bruising or anything like that indicate a, a worse problem then too? Yes
2: yeah, so bruising of course is bleeding underneath the skin um, common with a lot of impact injuries um, Definitely more concerning, especially if you're on any sort of blood thinner. Um, so large amount of bruising should be evaluated by a doctor. Um, that can definitely lead to too much pressure under the skin, therefore causing some constriction of blood flow. It can also lead to the development of blood clots. So if you have a large amount of bruising, definitely get it checked out.
0: Okay. Okay, and what about, I mean... So you roll your ankle pretty bad. I mean, would there be any indicators if there's anything broken? Or should you just get, uh, you know, if it hurts after a couple days, go to the doctor, get an x-ray, or um, how how would you go about that?
2: Um, You can expect, obviously, some pain with the injury. Any severe pain should be evaluated as quickly as possible. If you hear any sort of pop or crack with the injury, you should get that checked out any sort of deformity noted with the ankle definitely get that checked uh-huh. out um if you can't bear weight on it uh, these are all more severe symptoms associated with those injuries that should be evaluated for possible breaks
0: yeah and i you know I, with hunting i don't wanna, i don't want to put you know pigeonhole people but I, you know, it's kind of like a manly thing and some sometimes you get that like oh he's got to walk it off and kind of be tough and you know but if you're experiencing any of these uh more serious symptoms and yeah you got to go to the doctor check it out i
1: think if the bone is sticking out too (laughs) then that's a pretty good sign that it's probably broken yeah (laughs) if you
2: see things that you're not normally seeing yes not good you you
0: don't just walk those ones off
1: yeah i don't think you walk that one off you rub a little dirt on it
0: take an advil and
2: you'll end up in the icu for a week
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, so how about some uh, minor cuts and scrapes? Um, You know, I know you you probably just have to clean them out and, you know, stop the bleeding. Is that pretty much uh, the extent of first aid for those?
2: Yeah, so this is where that antiseptic is going to come into play. Um, If you're not by a sink and water uh, and soap, the next best thing is to try and cleanse it with an antiseptic Um, if you're out, you know, hiking on the trail or in the backcountry. Uh, Hunting, Um, So cleaning the wound is most important. That's going to help prevent infection from getting within that wound and causing further issues down the line. Um, After you've cleaned the wound, definitely want to control the bleeding. Um, So that's where your gauze, gauze wraps are going to come into play here. Best thing to do is to hold pressure right over the wound if you're having bleeding. If it's a significant amount of bleeding, you might even want to hold a little pressure above the wound, so meaning the area of the body closer to the heart um, than the wound is, and that'll slow some of the blood flow above the wound um, to help try and control it. Most people you know, will start clotting off within a, a minute or two. Um, don't keep checking the wound, though. That's most important. People want to peek under that gauze and see what's going on. Like I said, you're not going to be able to tell too much. Um, you want that gauze to stay on there to help that clot form over the wound. Um, so best thing to do is just to keep adding gauze on top of that if you need to apply more pressure if you're soaking through those gauze.
0: Oh, that's good to know. Um, you know, a lot of times that, that's what people want to do. They want to see it. Yeah. You know, they want to see. Oh, Seeing is, is not get- believing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, is it getting better? You know, everybody kind of. Um, thing has a tendency to do that yeah so that's that's some uh, some good advice i'm learning i'm learning some stuff here
2: <laughs> we can try it out later <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah um okay so let, let's move on to maybe some well, bites. before some, we move okay. on
1: to that i'm just gonna say right now for anyone who's listening to the podcast who is an outdoorsman a hunter a fisherman i guarantee you at some point or another you have cut yourself on your own knife yes Typically, when you're like looking at it or showing your buddy or doing something, which and has sp-
2: not happened to anyone here. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
2: um, yes. Uh huh. Yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, that's a very common injury. I'm guilty. And I speak from experience. I'm guilty. <laughs> and I'm guilty too.
0: I think you're the most guilty, to be honest. Yours is
2: very intentional. Mine mine
0: was, yeah, mine You have a lot, but I think you have more stories. You only have one? Uh, no, I've
1: I've cut myself a few times. uh, Is
0: is your one story just so great that it seems like it's more than one? No, I have a few. (laughs) Well, we'll have to tell that story in a different podcast. Those are
1: from a different podcast. (laughs) If we were going to talk about any of them, though, hers would probably be the best. Oh, really? Because it was while we were camping. In fact, it was while we were whittling while camping.
2: It was a freak whittling accident.
1: Yeah.
0: And haven't we all had those,
1: huh? Yeah. Um, But... We got it figured out, and she was all good. And I happened to actually have steri-strips on that trip too. Oh wow, that
0: yeah, well, way to be prepared.
2: Yeah, the closest facility was a um, medical office slash vet, uh, <laughs> so we figured that we were probably better off on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, few steri-strips on the hand, stopped the bleeding. It looks great.
0: Yeah, can't even tell. So, uh, okay, so <laughs> how about like uh, bug bites and stings?
2: Um, so with this one I'm gonna go with my golden rule of prevention Um, most common mosquito bites Uh, some people have some bad allergic reactions to them so if that's you just wear bug spray they come out during the day they come out at night just wear bug spray Um, same with animal bites you know all animals need to be respected be aware of your surroundings be aware that you're in their home their territory Um, so just, you know, keep your eyes peeled, give them their space, um, don't try and get close. Uh, however, you know, these things do happen, so most common for mosquito bites and most bug bites is, you know, the itching, the swelling that you get from them. Um, so just a hydrocortisone cream on that, um, some oral Benadryl or even Benadryl cream um, and that'll help take care of the symptoms. And then, unfortunately, it's just a waiting game from there. Um, these things can get infected, so keep an eye on them. If they're getting bigger, more red, more swollen, if you have fever, you need to go to the doctor, get some antibiotics.
0: And don't scratch?
2: Don't scratch. <laughs> that that opens up the skin and allows more bacteria to get in there. And, like I said, it can cause infection. Okay.
1: Um, as far as uh, mosquitoes go, we can attest firsthand uh, to our hunting, our uh, yeah. dove hunting trip last, uh, last year. The dove opener was terrible, and um, it was the year before. There were no mosquitoes. Um, there was nothing to even worry about out there. And so we just were like, we're not going to take bug spray because we didn't have to deal with them last year. Um, well, then, you know, we kind of regretted that very quickly. I think I ended up having, like, well over, like, 50 bites just on my
0: back alone. It was it was bad. Yeah, you had a, a ton of bites. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. So prevention, absolutely. So I have a confession to make. Okay. Um, I've never been stung by a bee. Oh. Uh, my in, in my entire life, I have avoided being stung by a bee. That's I don't pretty know. good. That's Yo just champion. luck. Or if really, I'm, I did not know that if about I'm, you. <laughs> if I'm following the golden rule of prevention. Yeah. <laughs> or if I just run like a I've little baby st- when I see bees. I've been stung twice. Um. So for me. Yeah, How would I know if I was allergic to uh, bee stings?
2: Um, So what a lot of people don't know is that you only develop an allergic reaction after your first sting.
0: Oh, okay. So it had to be stung twice.
2: There are, yes. There are some (laughs) rare people who are just very sensitive to them and can have an allergic reaction to the first sting, but very uncommon. Um, And that's because your body is now building up a response to that initial sting, um, so if you're allergic to the stings itself, your body will recognize that first sting and then start building a response in case you get stung again. Um, with all allergies, they can range from mild to, you know, extreme. Um, some mild reactions are uh, pain, swelling, redness at the, at the sting, uh, more so than a normal person, itching, um, progressing all the way to uh hives rash facial swelling um which is where you get to be more of a emergent uh response um that you need to seek medical care for Um, a lot of people with bee stings who know carry the epi pens and that will help to immediately reverse um, an emergent uh, reaction to bee stings
1: so i know with like hunting dogs too Uh Um, a lot of the guys recommend carrying, like, a an actual, like, shot of Benadryl that oh, okay. they can just inject the dogs with and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of, um, it, you know, it's kind of funny uh, when they show them on, on Facebook or Instagram uh, these posts of dogs that got stung by bees because their faces are all swollen, <laughs> even though I don't yeah. think the dog probably doesn't think it's that funny. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're, like, kind of meant to be cute. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah, I, I didn't know you can just give Benadryl to a dog. Um,
2: yeah, and um, for humans, I mean, most most of our drugs, meaning medication, are weight-based. So, you know, humans, it's one milligram per kilogram. So kilograms about 2.2 pounds. Um, where dogs, they can actually receive a lot more per their weight. Um, you're actually looking at one milligram per pound for dogs. So with a maximum dose, usually of about 50 milligrams. So you can uh you can definitely dose up for your dogs oh
0: it's good to know yeah that is good to know okay so um for all the the hunters if you've trekked miles and miles and miles um, looking for whatever you're looking for you've uh, probably encountered blistering um, is there anything we can do for blisters besides not walking <laughs> <laughs>
2: The golden rule, of prevention. <laughs> um, but yeah, this you're gonna come across no matter how hard you try sometimes. Um, everybody, including myself, we wanna pop them, right? We wanna pick the skin off of them. Um, the best thing to do if you're out is leave them intact. Um, okay. And that, that fluid that builds up within the blister is actually acting as a protective layer from the injury underneath the blister. Um, I know that they will pop on their own sometimes and that's just the nature of the injury but if you can leave them intact that's your your best bet especially while you're out in the wilderness and can't um, receive care for them. Um, If they do pop um, or if they get too large you just want to make a small pinpoint incision just to drain that fluid out. doing your best to keep the skin intact over over top of the blister Um, and like i said that's a protective layer um, preventing infection from getting into that wound
1: so i know teddy made a comment earlier that both he and i don't know a whole lot about first aid Uh that comment was actually false (laughs) Um, i am an eagle scout oh really yeah (laughs) wouldn't you know huh um, and actually was you know had to complete training um, for most of the ranks in some sort, if not all forms of uh, first aid. Um, also completed uh, a bunch of first aid requirements for merit badges and things like that. And so one of the things that was really common with Boy Scouts, because of all the hiking yeah. and all the camping, is blisters. Um, one of the things that we carried in every first aid kit is stuff called moleskin, and you can look it up on Amazon or you can actually find it at CVS, and basically it's this like, Kind of like a rough, uh, almost like athletic style tape. Okay. Um, that you can cut in different forms, and which is also why it's good to have scissors in your first aid kit, because uh-huh. um, you can cut them to the shape of your blister and apply them to the blister. They're it's, they're pretty common um, anti blister, not anti blister, but uh, basically once protection. the blister forms, then you can kind of put them around the blister and protect that area. Um, and they work really good too. Well,
0: that's that's good to know. Yeah. Um, okay, so. We'll, Let's move on to uh, fainting. Uh, What should we do if we're out hiking with somebody um, and they start feeling lightheaded and, you know, they do the, oh, declare, you know, and and pass out, you know, (laughs) what what do we do? Um,
1: Before we answer that question, um, what would be some of the main causes of fainting? And why would you develop a southern accent and say, I declare, as you fall down?
0: Because the floor. that's like.
2: It the affects y- the portion in your brain <laughs> that confuses you from where you're from. And what time period? <laughs> uh, no, that's false. Uh, <laughs> Thank um, you for clarifying that. Uh, fainting, uh, especially out hiking, I mean, we're thinking altitude, right? Um, you're gaining yeah. altitude quickly, usually. Um, or just in a, a area where your body's not a, accustomed to the altitude. Um, so most common is going to be um, just that change in altitude that can cause, you know, a lack of oxygenation in the, in the body. Um, another common cause is dehydration. You know, you're really pushing yourself, getting to the destination you need to go to. Um, so if you're not well hydrated, that can cause some fainting. You haven't eaten properly you know, replace those calories that you're burning off that can lead to fainting. Um, those are probably going to be your main causes. Um, so if you come across, you know, your fellow hiker, or your fellow friend that starts complaining of dizziness, best thing to do if you, can, if you can catch it early is have them sit and rest. Just let their body recuperate, um, catch up a little bit to where they're at. Um, if it gets too late in the game and you find them on the floor... Um, the best thing to do, of course, is examine your surroundings, make sure it's safe to help them out where they are. You know, of course, if they're hanging off a cliff edge, it might be a little, a little risky, (laughs) (laughs) um, but make sure, you know, the, this, the situation is safe to, you know, approach them. Um, and then you want to stabilize them, make sure that they don't have any signs of head or neck trauma, um, you know, move them to a, a safe location if they're not in one. Um, assess them for any sort of head injuries um, that could have caused them to pass out instead of faint um, and then you want to put place them in what we call the shock position so we're assuming that they fainted because they didn't get enough br- or blood to their brain, enough oxygen to their brain so what you do is you just gently lift up their legs you know 15, 30 degrees and what that does is it helps a lot of the blood back into the core of the body and hopefully help them get a little bit more oxygen to the brain and to the core organs um and then you know you need to hope that they wake up (laughs) (laughs) um you know give them time a minute or two if not you really need to start seeking some emergent medical attention um get a hold of someone they need to be evaluated by a physician
0: um so what about um heat whether that also cause uh, fainting yeah o- so that goes
2: along the lines of dehydration um you know most of the time people are
0: oh there we go some good fireworks right now <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah most of the time when people are hiking it's you know the warmer months summer um springtime um so staying hydrated can help prevent that um you don't want to try and give a person who's fainted some water until they've completely woken up. That can cause a risk for aspiration and choking. Okay.
0: Um, uh, so, what about um, it, you? See it common um, in uh, athletics where somebody gets uh, worked up. You know, they they work out too hard and then they get nauseated. Is that kind of like a, a first step to uh, fainting? Like a can, can you faint from overexertion?
2: Absolutely. Um, and that's just your body's stress response. Um, you know, dehydration to heat stroke, it's a, a spectrum of, you know, progression towards, um, so, you know, dehydration is the on the lower spectrum, whereas heat stroke is, you know, the most severe. Um, and that all goes, you know, a combination of lack of replenishment of fluids with the heat with the overexertion. Um, So, main thing is stay hydrated. Um, If you start having cramping in your muscles, that's your body telling you, you've used too much and you need to replenish. Um, If you start having nausea, vomiting, that's kind of the next step of heat exhaustion. Um, That's definitely your body telling you, you need to stop, you need to rest. Um, With that can come lightheadedness, uh, dizziness, excessive sweating, um, and if you progress all the way to heat stroke, that can that basically counteracts your body's ability to regulate its temperature. So you'll see patients come in with high temperatures, one oh six, maybe even above, because their body just can't regulate anymore. It can't function, and with that, you can see more lethargy, even you know loss of consciousness.
1: Okay. So basically, what you're saying in the area of uh, of prevention, <laughs> if you start feeling kind of jacked up you should probably slow down and stop like that's your body saying yeah, yeah. knock it off
2: yeah always listen to your body your body knows more <laughs> than you <laughs> It's trying to keep you alive so you
1: know more than yourself
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's say um it doesn't have to be from fainting but a slip and a fall or something and um fall and they they hit their head somebody in your in your group Ooh,
1: i have a good one on that um while out backpacking with an uncle of mine and my father. Um, we were up in the High Sierras. He went to go underneath uh, this fallen tree, um, uh-huh. and there was a branch sticking out that you couldn't really see until you were on the other side of it, and as he walked underneath, he was wearing a baseball hat, and it literally hit him on the... Actually, no, it wasn't with my uncle, but anyways, it was, we, were, we were out yeah. backpacking. Hits him on the head, and literally cut my dad's head uh, like I don't know, I would guess probably an inch and a half long cut.
0: So, uh, okay, like a, like a cut? Oh, yeah, chocolate? like a full-blown laceration.
1: Okay. And in my opinion, he needed stitches. And now that I remember, we were actually with a friend's dad, and he, like, really wanted to fish, and we had just gotten there. And he was like, no, I think it looks <laughs> good. I like, okay. I think it's okay. We just hiked, like, seven and a half miles back here <laughs> with full packs and everything else. And my dad's like, well, what do you think? And again, being an Eagle Scout, I was assessing the situation and was like, yeah, it doesn't look good. <laughs> I think you should go see a doctor. And, um, but yeah, no, so head injuries are actually really common. I,
0: yeah. I, so, I mean, and even beyond that, be, beyond the, uh, bleeding and stuff, uh, you know, you have concussions and, yeah. and brain, uh, potential damage to your brain. Um, how, how do we, uh, assess those, uh, when they first happen?
2: Um, so you want to try and determine the mechanism of how this injury occurred. If the patient, a patient, I'm sorry, I use that because I'm a nurse, if your (laughs) friend or family member, whoever's down, um, you want to figure out maybe how they got injured, kind of piece it together. You know, did something fall on their head? How big was it? Where's their injury at? How big is the injury? Um, when was the last time we saw this person, you know, were they supposed to be miles ahead of us or were they just around the corner? Um, That'll give you a better idea, a better picture of maybe what happened. Knowing a little bit of, you know, their medical history can also help, like I said, if people aren't blood thinners, you're at much higher risk for any sort of bleeding with an injury. Um, So just trying to determine maybe what happened can give you a better idea of where to go from that. Hopefully, they do wake up quickly from their injury. And then you can kind of assess their, their orientation, meaning are they, are they speaking clearly? Do they know who they are? Do they know where they're at? Do they remember what happened? Um, and those are all good indicators if they're responding appropriately that the damage is not too severe. If they're not responding appropriately or even at all, they need to seek immediate medical attention. That could be signs of severe swelling within their brain or even bleeding within their brain from their injury. Um, most commonly, though, people will, may suffer a concussion from head injuries, um, and those still need to be evaluated by a doctor. We can't determine that it's a concussion without doing the proper testing um, from a doctor. So with that, you can expect some nausea, vomiting, um, headache, a little bit of fogginess and confusion, but those symptoms should stay rather mild. Um, Like I said, bleeding or swelling in the brain can indicate you know, much more severe symptoms along those channels.
0: So, so Ryan, when uh, that injury happened, um, w- was a concussion uh, considered also? No,
1: um, and I think the reason for that was because he, he, when my dad described it, I think he described it, if I remember, it was so many years ago, but like, at, that he had, like, smacked it or, like, just kind of scraped the top of it. Okay. Um, And it was more like a scratch or something else. Um, But that's something to be aware of, too. Like, assuming, you know, let's say you're – we've had to crawl through some pretty, like, crazy and tight rock formations and Mm -hmm. things like that, and you go to stand up and smack your head on, like, a rock ceiling if you're in a cave or things like that. And Or if you're rock climbing, head injuries, too. Like, if you fall and smack your head up against the the rock surface – um, in that particular case, no, it was a lot more about the laceration and it was crazy the amount of blood too, that like, I mean, he just like bled all over the place. Um, but yeah, we got the bleeding stopped and, um, the mosquitoes are super bad up there and they just like wanted, yeah. they wanted that like cut. It was crazy. <laughs> oh, I just remember so my gross. dad like <laughs> complaining. Well, and it was crazy cause that same trip, literally we were acclimating. So we were at base camp acclimating uh-huh. And I was in a, in the river trying to retrieve a, a trout that had got tangled up in a log, um, and I was trying to get my line, and I slipped and sliced my foot open Oof. on the side where the toe, my my small toes out on my left side, and I cut it pretty deep too. And um, so the whole first day we were hiking in, I was having to change out my socks every thirty minutes because uh-huh. no matter what I did, I just kept bleeding through it. So, um,
2: so I always
0: bring extra socks.
1: Bring extra socks. Bring and extra then,
2: undies. Yeah, bring yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, that's always helpful too, but yeah, we were, we were both pretty injured that trip. It was to the point where I was almost going to stay at the base camp for the three or four days while they were going to backpack. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to go. And that was just not a very good trip for the Everell men.
0: (laughs) Well, um, moving on from head injuries, uh, we added this last one. Um, so that Ryan can mention that he was an Eagle Scout, and it turns out that he mentioned it and he was an Eagle Scout... Twice. ...way before. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you said I hadn't mentioned it in a few episodes, you, so I needed to make
1: sure. He just couldn't wait. Yeah. So, Ryan... Yes.
0: Can you tell us how to remove
1: a fish hook? Oh, yeah. That's in fishing. the Boy Scout handbook. I mean, it's it's number... Like, day one. Day one, bro. Um, so, one of the best ways to remove a fish hook... So, okay. Here's the thing. If you get fish hooked then, like, there's something wrong with the way that you fish or the person that's next to you is fishing. Well,
0: I will say it's very common in fly fishing.
1: It, I would assume so, yeah. and so I, I could assumes. see that, yeah. <laughs> um, at the same time, what I always like to tell people is if the barb doesn't go all the way into your skin, you don't need this method. It makes it a lot messier. But if the barb of the hook actually penetrates all the way through the skin, um, when, when you go to pull it out, it's going to rip and tear up that skin yes that's so, what it's made for so actually the best way to remove it it's going to be crazy to some of you people is you literally take the hook and, you and
2: just p- so you know he's showing us yeah i'm
1: showing you guys uh, you guys can't see this because we're recording via sound Just
2: visualize it. visualize
1: this you take the hook and you literally push it deeper into your skin until it comes out the other side Ooh. all the barb all the way through then you take a pair of needle nose pliers or any kind of pliers really and either cut or crimp the barb. Um, if you can cut it, honestly, that's easier. But if you have to crimp it, and then basically you back it out the same way that you pushed it through. And wow, the, yeah, that does not sound fun. Yeah. Um, and like I said, if the barb doesn't go all the way through, don't don't push it through.
0: I say uh, <laughs> fish barbless. It's uh, better for the fish. And it's easier to remove if you hook yourself. True. <laughs> it's harder to catch them, though. Um well yeah, I mean that's where the skill comes in.
2: I say just go to the grocery store and buy whatever you want to eat. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, okay, so so how about some more uh shooting sports specific injuries? Um you know anybody who's uh uh shot guns, you know, like the barrels get real hot and you have a high chance of burns <laughs> burning yourself. Um uh what what are some, some common uh ways to treat burns?
2: Well, one thing that you won't commonly hear is you need to pee on it. (laughs) And that's because that's not true. (laughs) That's jellyfish. (laughs) You could try it, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for for letting me know that. I don't want anybody to trick me into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, next time we go out to
1: the range and... Anyone gets a burn will be like, oh, I gotta oh you got to pee, pee on it, it dude. got to pee on it, man. Hopefully
2: it's not like a private range and, you know, <laughs> people are really going to think you're weird. You might not be allowed back, but. Yeah. Um, with burns, uh, you want to immediately cool down the skin. Um, even though the mechanism that has caused the burn has probably been removed from the skin, um, that skin can still get burned underneath for you know minutes Um, so you want to cool down the area if you have ice water even just cool water put your hand in the ice chest um, for a few minutes and that'll help cool down that area hopefully helps stop the burning that's occurring under the skin Um, next you want to treat it like any other open wound Um, make sure you clean it out really well Um, and then you know provide some general first aid some Antibiotic ointment, cover it up with a bandage. Um, any sort of burns that are deeper under the skin, you're seeing some tissue. Uh, those need to be evaluated by a doctor, um, especially if they are large in size. Okay,
0: and so uh, for burns um, that they start blistering, it's you pretty much follow the same uh, protocol for. Uh, other blisters.
2: Yeah, it's kind of nice. Once you learn some basic first aid, it all kind of correlates together. <laughs> blisters are blisters. Treat them like blisters. Um, scrapes are scrapes. <laughs>
0: um, okay. So what about um, you know you're shooting your shotgun all day? You got a nice, <laughs> nice little bruise on your arm or. If any of you have gone out with Nicole's father,
1: my father-in-law, <laughs> I promise you, you will have a bruised shoulder no matter what. Shooting that bull pup. Caltech with three-inch magnum slugs. Sounds like fun. It, you know, it. It's like the first two shots are fun, <laughs> and then the next twelve are kind of rough.
2: <laughs> you gotta just be a man, though, right? You
1: gotta man up. Hey, I did. I, I,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> then don't complain.
0: <laughs> um, so, is so number one, don't complain. Is there anything to do for for bruising? Um, Maybe just ice or that that would be my first thing.
2: Yeah, bruising is just a symptomatic treatment. Um, You know, ibuprofen, uh, some sort of anti-inflammatory medication. That'll help with the pain as well as the swelling associated with it. And then, yeah, just some topical cooling measures, ice pack, um, if you can, about 20 minutes. And that should also help relieve some of the pain and swelling. Um, don't poke them unless they're your husband's then you can poke away (laughs) watch them cry a little bit
0: (laughs) that never happened I'm going to say prevention is probably the golden rule would probably apply here Um, you you shouldn't be getting bruised that bad Um, just don't shoot if it, if it hurts that much. <laughs> you know, in all honesty, though,
1: like some of those big guns, you, you can shoot all day and not really notice it while uh-huh. you're shooting until you get home. Because yeah. it's pretty funny. We've gone to the range before where both her and I have been like, we shot, you know, a couple rounds of trap and skeet and everything else. And you come home, and you're like, oh, yeah, that wasn't that bad. And for whatever reason, like later in the evening or the next day, you wake up and you're like, oh, man, my shoulder's pretty sore. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, there's nothing wrong. With using recoil pads, there's nothing wrong with adding the you know the rubber butt plates and things like that. Do what you gotta do to be comfortable.
0: Well, I would say the the worst um, bruising I've ever gotten from from shooting is hunting, and I think the reason why is
2: you missed all of them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I, I would say it might be related because <laughs> when you pull up on a bird really quick, you don't always put It flush against your shoulder. <laughs> you sometimes, um, you know, jerk the trigger a little too quick. And uh, I right in my upper arm where I didn't shoulder it good, I kind of like got my upper arm, uh, the butt of the, the shotgun in my upper arm and pulled the trigger. And um, that would be a reason what probably why I missed because I'm not looking down the barrel, right? And um, that would also be a reason why I had a nice bruise. If you do that maybe twice, um, that's, that's going to hurt. Well, and then
1: back again with prevention. Yes. Having a stock that fits you <laughs> is probably pretty important. I'm a shorter statured guy, so having some of the, even just a stock, stock, <laughs> um, just the standard stock that comes with a, a shotgun, oftentimes the length of pull on that is too long for someone my height, and so I actually need a shorter stock typically. Um and so I can tell you right now, the stock that is on, on my current hunting shotgun's too long. Um, I intend to replace the stock this season, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You go to pull up quickly, and you don't have enough time to actually seat it on your shoulder, so you're hitting your upper arm. I have even had it like hit like kinda near my cheek and things like that as I'm trying to like, point like and, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, that's one of those things where you just gotta be cautious about the gun that you're using too and make sure you're using something that fits you.
0: And that's probably where drilling, um comes into play and yeah good mechanics yeah you know things like that practice yeah. uh practice is also probably a good uh prevention measure yeah um so um let's move on uh, these ones seem well okay, before we ahead. do that i would say
1: um uh, we brought up earlier when we were kind of discussing what to talk about objects in the eye um there's not much you can do for that, as Nurse Nicole informed us earlier, <laughs> but I do want to just make a note: always oh, we wear eye and ear protection yes. when, when shooting.
2: Prevention. Prevention. Prevention.
1: That that literally like that is probably more important than any any of the things
0: that we've talked about yeah. for shooting sports. Eye and ear protection. I agree. Yeah.
2: Life protection.
0: Um, these these ones are a little miscellaneous uh, things that can happen while you're out hiking, um, and they seem pretty uh, obvious to me, but. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about them. Uh, what do you do for dehydration? Um, in my opinion, you hydrate, <laughs> replenish fluids. Um, and when should you seek medical attention? Uh,
2: so prevention, drink fluids often. Uh, <laughs> uh, this goes along with listening to your body. Uh, you're out hiking, it's hot, you're thirsty, drink water. And always bring enough wa- more than enough water than you think you'll need um it's even helpful i know this doesn't go along with first aid but maybe even just you know hiking or camping safety have a small water purifier with you in case you run out of water um that way in case you come across a stream or something you can replenish your your um pack without Um,
1: giardia poisoning yeah (laughs)
2: without suffering down the road um (laughs) diarrhea is a serious thing (laughs) Um, and that will dehydrate you (laughs) yeah further dehydration Um, So yeah, just listen to your body, if you feel thirsty, if you know you've been sweating a lot, uh, take a few minutes, stop, guzzle down some water. Um, Also, you know, the electrolyte drinks, Gatorade, Powerade, um, all those natural ones they have now, uh, (laughs) those are really good to take along with you. Those will replenish your electrolytes, um, like your potassium, sodium, um, that are really important with muscle function. Um, So yeah, just listen to your body. If you start feeling too overheated, um, that's when you really need to stop and cool down. Put a cool uh, bandana, wet bandana on your forehead, on your back, dump a little water on your head. Um, just listen to your body and you know, follow, follow those rules.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think we all know when we're, when we're pushing ourselves a little too hard.
1: The one, the one thing that I would note just because of, I've just experienced it like in cold weather a lot of the times, you don't necessarily feel that you're dehydrated. Yeah, um, that's one of those ones where I think you have to be a little more vigilant about just remembering. To yeah, drink just water. drink water. Yeah, just drink, yeah. drink water, drink Gatorade, drink something. Yeah, especially
0: um, for the bird hunters and yeah, I think big game too. It's it's, it's all mostly done in the, in the winter time. Yeah,
1: well, and the, where I've noticed it the most is like uh, snowboarding or going up to like Big Bear uh-huh. things like that in the winter. You just you're out doing stuff and hanging out and you know or we'll hike with the dogs and things like that in the snow and because it's so cold and everything else, you don't think like, oh, I probably need to be drinking a lot of water right now, you know?
0: Yeah, you don't feel it And Yeah, quite you as don't, much. you
1: really don't, um, so yeah.
2: And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, if you're hiking with your dogs, remember, they need water too, so if not, maybe more frequently than you do, so frequent stops, give them lots of water. Um, dogs cool off through their paws and through their mouths, so, you know, get their paws wet, uh, make sure they're drinking plenty of water along the way. Because um, they can overheat just as easy as we can.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Um, so the next one, um, altitude sickness. If you're up in the in the high altitude, um, my <laughs> my thing is well, just get to lower altitude. Um, <laughs> but if if that's uh, not possible um um, when does altitude sickness get serious and when should you seek medical and is altitude sickness
1: like a real thing i mean like i know sorry (laughs)
0: i i know like i know it
1: can be but i do feel like sometimes people like go up to the altitude and just like blame it on that i don't know I've, i've heard that it can be like somewhat of a wife's tale
2: um, no, it can. It's definitely a real thing. Okay. Um, you can definitely need hospitalization if it's uh, serious enough.
1: Okay, like I get that on Mount Everest. You, yeah, I was right. gonna say
2: if you're hiking Everest, um, if you don't die from that alone. But I'm you talking can... about
1: the people that go up to like local mountains and go, oh my gosh, like I'm super altitude sick or okay, whatever. Okay, if
2: you're hiking through the state park. Probably not. You just need to get over it.
1: (laughs) You're probably just out of shape.
2: (laughs) Let's face it. Um, No, altitude sickness is a real thing. And uh, like you said, Teddy, it's caused by gaining too much altitude too quickly. Best thing to do, besides prevention, (laughs) is to get back down to lower altitude. It's basically because the higher altitude um, you reach, there's actually a lower pressure of oxygen. So... Our bodies rely on oxygen, right? Um, So therefore, your body's not receiving the oxygen the way that it normally is, and that's what causes those symptoms. Uh, Most commonly, dizziness, lightheadedness, uh, fast heart rate, nausea, vomiting. Um, And the treatment for that, honestly, is like we've already said, get down to lower altitude, get back to where your body's used to. Um, You need to take longer to acclimate to gaining altitude. Um, and it's just symptomatic relief. Um, if you have a headache, Tylenol, ibuprofen, uh, staying hydrated, and like I said, gaining that altitude more slowly than um, before.
0: And can, can it get serious to where you would need to maybe go to an emergency room or have a... Uh- Uh, get helicoptered out of where you are
2: (laughs) Um, it definitely can but uh, those are very extreme situations like we said maybe climbing Everest Um, (laughs) I don't think any of us uh, casual people are gonna be gaining that much altitude that quickly Um, it's just not really gonna happen
1: (laughs) yeah that makes sense I, I will say smoking cigars in high altitudes is not always the best idea
2: Um, Let's talk about that. (laughs) Sounds like there's a story.
1: Well, this time I was backpacking with my father and my uncle, and we were up pretty high um, in elevation. (laughs) High. I would would guess about uh, 8,000 feet elevation. We had uh, gotten up there uh, in the morning, fished all day, um, just taking time to acclimate, uh, had some dinner, and then um, we're sitting around. A campfire, and we had some Cuban cigars that were a little more potent than what I was normally used to smoking, and uh, started into that, and I think I was gone by, like, the first third, just, like, dizzy <laughs> and, like, nauseous, and... Like oh my gosh, I'm not getting enough air. I just remember like laying down in the dirt, like just I just need to like breathe, like <laughs> be cool. Yeah, <laughs> clean cool yourself up. And a it was bit. so funny because both my father and my uncle were making fun of me, like oh come on, get out, you'll be fine, like everything's okay. And then I think after a little while, both of them were kind of like, all right, maybe we need to stop, uh, stop puffing on these cigars. It's getting, it's getting pretty tough. So yeah, I'm very wary when I smoke tobacco in high altitudes.
0: Um, okay. Let's uh, kind of switch gears and talk about a little more serious, uh, serious injuries. Um, uh, I'm talking about injuries where you're going to need to seek medical attention. Um, just see if we, if there's anything that uh, civilians can do prior to the medical attention getting there. Um, first off, uh, broken bones. Is there anything that we can do uh, for a broken bone um, if uh, you come across? Uh, an injury like that and is
1: there anything for any of these that we're going to talk about that you should not do like yes. just straight like do not do that <laughs> within reason <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of things don't pour gasoline and yes. light it on fire like <laughs> that that's totally probably not work. a good idea
2: <laughs> don't suture it with a fish hook <laughs>
1: well I mean Rambo did it unless yes.
2: your tetanus is up to date <laughs>
1: <laughs> or your Rambo <laughs>
0: uh,
2: Rambo's not real uh, oh. <laughs> oh. oh, that hurts. It's getting serious over here. Uh, yeah, man, I'm not going to be invited back. Yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, broken bones can uh, can occur. Um, you want to provide some some basic rudimentary splinting, and by splinting, I mean we want to keep that injured area um, from moving as much as possible. Um, there's all sorts of breaks and fractures. Some go completely through the bone, some partially. Um, And, you know, those are a little harder to tell without the major deformity of, you know, my ankle's backwards now. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) with any sort of break or suspected break, we want to provide some basic splinting. Um, And if you don't have something in your first aid kit, like, um, or say for an arm, for an instance, you want to, you know, put that triangle bandage on, splint the arm so that it stays mostly immobile or as much as possible. Um, you can use other basic items. You know, you can fasten a T-shirt as a splint. You can, um, if you're if you're a Boy Scout or an Eagle Scout, uh, you could use your kerchief. Um which they all sport around.
1: Um, it's not a joke, okay. I
2: was not I was not a joke. It was very serious. Uh, you could, you know, even use like your belt. I mean, you just get creative if you have to, yeah. um, or be prepared. Prevention. You know what's crazy
0: about that phrase?
1: That's the motto of the Boy Scouts. (laughs) Which is
2: now just the Scouts because they allow girls in that. But that's another podcast. (laughs) That's another (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Um, So say if it's not an arm injury, we're talking legs. um, I mean, you can even take two twigs, put it on either side, hopefully twigs without sharp bark. um, (laughs) Kind of wrap that around with an ace bandage, you know, just anything to get that leg straight and immobile. Um,
1: they said, uh, I know for us, they always talked about busting a hiking stick in half. Okay. And utilizing that as
0: well.
2: Unless they're titanium, then that's probably not going to happen. <laughs>
0: then you, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when you mentioned... Uh, your, your ankles backwards or your legs off to the other side. Yes. Um, should someone straighten that out? or
2: No, not without professional okay. training. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, those are the more severe injuries if something looks majorly deformed, something's poking out that you normally don't see, um, something's pointing the wrong way. Uh, those are the ones you're going to want to leave alone. Um, you still want to splint them as best you can, keep them actually in the position that they're already in. Um, and seek immediate medical yes. attention for those guys. Yes,
0: all of these injuries seek immediate medical attention. There's
2: like immediate, and then there's like immediate, and... <laughs> and, <laughs>
0: and that, Super immediate. And that one is the uh, emphasis on the I am immediate. Okay. Is it, is, yes. Okay. <laughs> immediate. <laughs> okay. Gunshot wounds. Oh.
2: Okay, hopefully you never come across these Um practice proper gun safety and it shouldn't be an issue um okay but if we're in that situation now hopefully like i said earlier it's just a graze wound um you can just kind of bandage those up as best you can um go see your doctor within an hour or two um okay so we're going to talk about you know through and through and you know what bullets that are stuck in the body uh contrary to popular belief you don't need to take the bullet out um the bullets pretty much sterile once it enters the body it's going so fast and at such a high temperature that it doesn't pose a risk for infection actually poses more risk for infection to try and go retrieve that Um, so if you're out in the wilderness just leave it in there unless you can see it right on the surface Um, but with those ones you're worried about internal bleeding, bleeding you can't see Um, so that's where your trauma kit's going to come in handy and know this is just rudimentary stuff as best you can with what you've got Um, so you want to try and control that bleeding Um, notice is there an entry and exit wound Um, so you know how you know where you need to place your attention to Um, large amounts of pressure to help stop that bleeding Um, this is where you're probably gonna want to use your quick clot and your pressure uh, bandages Um, And this is the capital I am immediate medical attention um, Injury. Yeah So Basics is control the bleeding as best you can
1: So on a through-and-through wound that's where you'd want to probably use like a chest seal or if it's going through the chest Obviously punctured a lung or something like that
2: Yeah, so you're gonna want to put some gauze over that covering the wound up, but you wanna keep one end of the gauze open. So if you think about you know, a square piece of gauze, you're gonna put tape on three sides of that gauze, keeping one area open. And that's gonna help allow air to escape the wound and hopefully help prevent it from getting back into the wound, creating pressure within the chest. Okay, that's good to know.
1: Um, um, and Okay, go oh, ahead. Go, no, you go ahead first.
0: Uh, well, no, I was gonna move on to the oh. next.
1: Do we have to worry at all about high-speed lead poisoning?
2: <laughs> um, well, hopefully we're using California-compliant um, <laughs> rounds, these non-lead, days. non-lead ammo um, rounds.
1: That, see, I, she knows. She does. Know. I taught her
2: because we're responsible on this show, and we follow the law to the T. Uh, so unless you're using lead bullets, you're not going to have to worry about lead poisoning. Oh, Um,
1: so high-speed non-lead
0: poisoning.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which is just, I think, infection, but yes. (sighs) Um,
0: Okay, so let's take gunshot wound out of the equation. Um, And so severe bleeding, uh, which is part of the gunshot wound, um, should that all be treated the same way? If it's, say, of like a longer laceration, or um, is it all pretty much the same? uh, Severe bleeding is severe bleeding?
2: Um, well, yes. Yeah, severe bleeding is severe bleeding. There is two types of bleeding, though, that can occur with injuries. Venous bleeding, meaning coming from the veins, which is a slower bleeding. Usually the blood's a little darker red in color um, due to that lack of oxygen that's already been used up by the body. And then there's you know, arterial bleeding coming from the arteries, which is oxygenated blood that should be brighter red in color. Um, and usually coming out with a higher velocity, higher pressure, you might even notice that it's pulsating out. Um, so
0: those are like the squirting wounds?
2: Yes, uh, <laughs> not as dramatic as you see on TV unless you really nick a good one. <laughs> um, but I would say you know arterial bleeding is much more serious than venous bleeding um, just because of the high pressure, the capability of losing more blood over a quick amount of time. Um, those are the ones you really want to apply a lot of pressure to. Uh, as a last resort, if you can't get that bleeding under control, then you're going to want to use a tourniquet. Um, and that's essentially to stop all blood flow to that extremity, assuming that the bleeding's in an extremity, um, which can cause some serious damage down the road if it's not treated quickly. Um, but like I said, that's kind of a life or death you know, mechanism of, uh, you know, just trying to control that, saving your life.
0: So that's that's why they have the um, the little flap for the time. You know, they want you to, to write the time. That's another good thing to have in your first aid kit is a sharpie, in case you have to write. <laughs> that's uh, a good one. Yeah, something. Yeah. Um, I have one in my trauma. Your kit. Your
2: memoirs. <laughs> your
1: yeah, tell my wife I love her, <laughs> that sort of thing. No, I do carry, I carry um a, a tourniquet as well, and yeah, mine has the slot for the time, and you know I. You know it's really funny too. I actually carry the little instruction manual that came with the trauma kit and the um, tourniquet. And the reason for it, like everyone's, a, 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 I had a couple of buddies like, well, why do you have all the instructions in here? I thought you're Eagle Scout. Don't you know all this? And I'm like, well, yeah. I think even someone who's trained, you know, when you when you're in a traumatic situation like that, or in a in a in a situation where a life is is at stake or safety's at stake. Um, You know, you can try all you want to not panic. Yeah. um, But you might be in a situation where all of that just goes out the window. Yeah, you can never
0: train for
1: (laughs) Like, you can't panic. Like, oh my gosh, I just got shot in the arm. I have to stop the bleeding. Like, what do I do, you know? Um, And so I keep that with me. Or in case I go down and I'm unresponsive and someone doesn't know first aid, now they have that booklet and could go, okay, I can at least attempt to try and do something,
0: you know? Um, Okay, so usually... Uh, and I'm just going off of uh, uh, movies and TV shows, you know, mm-hmm. like... My favorite. <laughs> uh, yeah, those kinds of things. Um, what happens if you have severe bleeding and you're trying to fix that up and the patient or friend or whoever it is starts going into shock? Uh, what is happening? What is shock? And is there anything we can do for it as uh, untrained civilians?
2: So, yeah, there's all different types of shock, but... The one that we're talking about here is hypovolemic shock. So meaning you're losing volume, blood volume, fluid volume within your veins, within your arteries. You're not getting pressure and oxygen to your vital organs. Um, so with shock, you're losing too much, too much fluid, too much blood. Um, you're going to start seeing um, a decrease in the level of consciousness, uh, meaning the patient or the person's not becoming aware of what's going on they're difficult to arouse. Um, You might notice um, some bluing in color in their extremities, their fingers, their toes, and usually it starts there and works its way towards the core. Um, At this point, our main concern is trying to preserve those core organs, the brain, the heart, the lungs. Um, So like, as I mentioned earlier, the the shock position, you wanna raise up those legs um, and that helps the blood flow return back to the core of the body. Um, of course, apply pressure to the wounds. Try and control that bleeding as best you can. Um, if there's a more immediate uh, immediate than immediate, then this is like the ultimate immediate. Uh, <laughs> you need to get that person to the hospital ASAP. Um,
0: That's fully capitalized immediate?
2: All caps. All caps. Exclamation.
0: Okay. Um, so... Kind of uh, closing out a little bit, um, is there anything that someone who's untrained should not do uh, that you could think of in uh, in a serious, uh, uh, one of these serious injuries where they have to seek medical attention?
2: Um, I know we said, you know, listen to your body. This one's kind of listen to your mind. If you're not comfortable or familiar with something, then it might just be better to not even try or attempt it. Um, you know, you you can sometimes cause more damage than do good um, if you're not familiar with what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of people um, that uh, like, you know, in in the gun community, would they uh, they carry those uh, those little needles to stick in your in your chest <laughs> to relieve, uh, I, I guess, the air pressure. Um, and uh, you, I see a lot of mixed uh, things about that. Uh, You know, a lot of people say if you're not trained, you shouldn't do that, and some people are like, well, it's life or death, and you got to do what you got to do and stick a pen in there or whatever, you know. Um, What do you recommend uh, as a nurse? And what is that needle called?
2: We just call it needle decompression or, um, you know, thoracotomy thoracentesis. Uh, You know, like you said, it's used to relieve um, any buildup of pressure that can occur in the chest with a traumatic wound that can include air, or blood. Um, that is an emergent life saving procedure that should only be performed by someone who's familiar with it. I mean, obviously, you got heart, lungs, major arteries going on in the chest. We got a lot of important stuff with a capital I <laughs> in the chest there. Um, however, you know, I would recommend that, yeah, maybe you do carry that. In your first aid kit, and here's why: you might not know how to do it, but maybe someone in your group does, or maybe someone comes along and does um, that they can, you know, use it and use it for good, uh, and not you. Um, so, I would say it's better to be more prepared than less prepared. Um, don't try and perform it if you're not familiar with it. If you haven't at least watched like hundred YouTube videos on it. If you haven't attended <laughs> at least like, you know, twelve credits of medical school. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe maybe someone will come along that can just save the day and you know use that uh, equipment um, that would benefit you. So I would say yeah, bring it along.
1: Um, and then I know we touched on this a little bit throughout the episode. We're going to deviate a little bit here. Um, but there's, you know, uh, most of the guys that are out hunting, especially upland game, um, are going to have dogs with them. Are there any like dog specific items that you would say carry? I know you're not a veterinarian, but, um, uh, you know, both of us, you know, being dog owners, having my dad who owns a hunting dog, um, are there any anything that you would say like absolutely carry that, that would be helpful if you have a dog?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say that a lot of the injuries that could occur to you can also just as commonly occur to your dogs or whatever else you take out hiking, your cat, your iguana. Um, I don't know. There's some weird stuff out there. But, uh, uh, you know, just the same thing. Um, Gauze for any sort of uh, wounds, abrasions. Um, You can use a staple gun on a dog. Um, You can use some topical antibiotics antibiotic ointment, um, all the antiseptics are still safe for dogs. Um, there are certain medications that humans can take that are safe for dogs. Um, off the top of my head, I know we talked about Benadryl. Um, but you can definitely research those online. Um, that way, you know, you have dual purpose for, you know, whatever's in your kit. Um, we joked about having a tick remover. That's going to be excellent for dogs. Um,
0: yeah, I would say tweezers tweezers and a tick remover. <laughs> um, I've seen a uh, hunting dog in action, and those dogs are fearless, and they go head first into bushes <laughs> and anything. Yeah. Needle nose, Needlenose pliers, too, are <laughs> yeah.
1: really good to have um, in a first aid kit, or even a multi-tool Yeah, um, to be able to pull out uh, things that maybe the tweezers aren't necessarily strong enough to get out, like porcupine quills uh-huh. or some of the big cactus needles. Um, one of the things, so we actually built my father a, a first aid kit for both him and his dog uh, for Father's Day. Because and w-
2: he loves a dog more than he loves anything.
1: That is, yeah, that's <laughs> that actually, is that's pretty accurate. Pretty true. Uh, <laughs> I've been around him and my hope, dog before. I hope when he listens to this, he knows that we're, we're jokingly <laughs> saying that. And, wink. And we, we hope he knows that we love him very much. Um, that's not a wink wink, that's true. That is very it true. Is. Um one of the things that we included in there were the, the saline um, uh, washes or wooded did... They're
2: saline flushes. Flushes. Just a syringe filled with sterile saline water.
1: That can flush out, you know, maybe dirt or grime that gets in the dog's eyes or in their nasal cavity, things like that. A lot of the foxtails yeah. um, will get there. And then the other thing that I added um, was something called styptic powder or styptic powder. Um, and, and I researched this and supposedly... Uh, it's really good. It stops bleeding. A lot of old school barbers used it, um, you know, like for nicks and cuts with straight razors. Um, and they found that it's actually really, really, really effective in stopping bleeding on dog claws that get caught oh, okay. when they're tearing up through the rocks in the brush and things like that. Um, so, adding a, a vial or two of the powder, and they make them in, in pen form um, that you can kind of paint onto nicks and cuts. Um, it's better than that. The quick clock can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a much cheaper solution to that. Um, so I know that that's always a good option too. Okay, um, that's good enough. And then I know they talk about having like dog nail clippers and things like that, but, um, you know, that's all additional
0: stuff. Okay. Um, anything, uh, else you want to add? No? No? Yes? No. no? Yeah, I think we covered... We covered uh, quite a bit of stuff today. Um, prevention can, is everything. Prevention really is. Every, well, I I don't know about everything, but a lot of. A lot a, of it. Is a lot reduction. of the things. A lot are of the things. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to circle back to the whiskey. I'm going to give my opinion of, on this whiskey, and it is Jack Daniels.
1: Yeah. It, <laughs> literally, it's stronger Jack Daniels. Yeah. Is, is really all it is. I have
2: for someone who didn't taste it. You know, I know there's Pepsi Max, which is like extra Pepsi. Oh, uh, another uh, big July firework. Buddy. God bless America. <laughs> um, is it like? Would you call it like a Jack Max?
0: Um, no. Uh, it, it's it. it it's like uh, my my comparison would be it's like drinking Coke and Mexican Coke.
1: Yeah, more that's like that. Strong.
0: Yeah, it's got yeah. the you know the cane sugar instead of like the Woo. high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. So I would say like I would say that regular Jack Daniels is Mexican Coke with the cane sugar, and uh, Jack Daniels Red Dog Saloon is uh, high fructose corn syrup. You know, like, souped up a little bit for yeah, you. Yeah,
1: it's got a little extra oomph to it. <laughs> I would just say it's got three percent more alcohol in it, uh-huh. but that's just me. Um, uh, but it's, it, Jack
0: Daniels is so distinct in its flavor. Um, it, it really and is. And smell, everything. It's, it's
1: insane. And I know we've brought this up on the podcast because we've had, I think, now four or five different well, types I, of...
0: No, I think we've only... We have a Gentleman Jack and a Single Barrel, I believe.
1: Okay, so three. Yeah. Um, so we haven't had regular Jack No, we James. haven't had regular Jack so, so we'll Jack have Daniels. to do that as well. But to me, think. you taste any of those... No matter whether it's smooth, whether it's a little bit more rough, whether it's, you know, more oaky, whatever, they all still taste like signature Jack Daniels. Yeah. And like I said, to me, this is Jack Daniels with a little bit more of a kick to it. Um, I thought it was good. I had a glass and a half, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, it just, it's Jack Daniels. You can't go wrong with Jack Daniels.
0: <laughs> you can't. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's
1: truly just really good American Tennessee sour mash whiskey.
0: Yep. Um, so... Um, as always, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at Smoke the Podcast.
1: And uh, we'd like to thank Nurse Nicole for uh, helping us out tonight with, yes. with these questions.
0: Um, the, the expert, not only is she a nurse, she is an ER nurse, so yes, she, she does have a little more uh, credentials. Than maybe and she's right.
1: like a clinical nurse for, which <laughs> makes her like even more... <laughs>
2: Which means nothing to most yeah. of you. <laughs>
0: um, no, but um, being, no, we, being an ER nurse, you, you do get more of the trauma stuff. Yeah. Um, and so we, we really appreciate uh, yeah.
1: you coming on and, and giving your time and your advice.
0: It's a big help, and I, I think a lot of people are going to uh, enjoy this. Um, so, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're and welcome. Have a good night. All right.